Now, we're going to carry on in our studies of Revelation tonight, the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to him and is concerning him. And we'll read all of Revelation chapter 6. So, if you have a Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 6. And John is commentating, John the writer of this revelation. And John says this, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second, second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruits when shaken by a gale. The sun vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and amongst the rocks of the mountain, calling to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Amen. Now if this was a film... Um, we could say there's been a change of scene for the last two Sunday nights 
we've had the scene and the camera if you like has been focused in heaven in the very throne room there and in chapters 4 or 5 as we've thought of a throne in heaven the worship that went to the throne and we've thought then of the one who came who was worthy to open the scroll the deeds of the earth the title deeds of the earth not how it's going to be owned but how it's going to be reclaimed by this one the lamb standing as if he had been slain and worship came to him worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing it is of course the lord jesus christ and he takes that scroll he takes that scroll and he alone is the one who is able to open these seals and John sees this tonight as we're going to think about this the Lord Jesus Christ opens a seal and he unleashes his righteous judgment upon this world John has seen the lamb that was once slain once slain so that his people might be redeemed and might be a kingdom and priests to our God And the very same Lord Jesus Christ is the one who opens the scroll. The one who is crucified in one of the the greatest act of injustice this world has ever seen. Because of the one it was committed against. It was a huge act of injustice. But when he opens this scroll and unleashes this judgment upon this world, it is just. No one can say it's unfair. No one will be able to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and say that's unjust, this is not fair. The very one who we thought about this morning is unchanging, perfect in his love, is the very one who will open the scroll. The very one who is perfect in wisdom, all wisdom belongs to him, all power belongs to him, is the very one who will open this scroll and justice will be done. In a world and a system that has rejected him, in which he has been awfully patient as we will think, there will come a time when judgment will come upon this world and no one can say it's unfair. Let's remember that as we think about this tonight. This is the judgment of God upon this world, on that world and the system that rejects Jesus Christ. And he is the one who all things were created for. Let's remind ourselves about him before we go any further tonight. Let me just read from you. You know these verses well. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 to 16, you could quote them. It says about Jesus Christ that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything. Everything was created through him and for him. He is the firstborn of creation. That is not that he has been born physically. That is his rank. That is his authority above all of creation. All the stars and everything in this universe, everything upon this earth, his rank is supreme above that. He is the one we have just quoted, existed before all creation. He is the pre-existent one. 
He is the one, he is the agency of creation. And not only that, he is the goal and purpose of all creation. It was created for him. And by and large, this world has rejected the one for whom and through whom all things were created. And that rejection, that rejection and denial of his rightful place as the firstborn over all creation has a consequence. At this present time, God is displaying his patience, perfect patience, perfect patience. You know, Peter spoke about the coming day of the Lord, and people scoffed at that. And he says, scoffers and mockers will come. But he says, I want you to know, and we know that, you know, a day is a thousand days with the Lord, a thousand years is a day. He's outside of time. Peter says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of judgment and coming. As some count slowness, but what? But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So this world now is seeing the patience of God. The very patient, God is being patient. Willing people to bow in repentance and come in faith to Jesus Christ. But, Peter goes on to say, the day of the Lord, a time of God's judgment upon this earth, the great day of wrath, as we have read right in verse 17 of chapter 6 there, we read it there, the great day of wrath, another way to describe the day of the Lord, this time of judgment, will come. It will come upon this world and we're reading that today as well now what I want us to do is to to look first of all because what we're going to start tonight we're going to look at chapter 6 and we're going to go well in the will of the Lord we're not going to do this all tonight of course we're going to go all the way through to chapter 19 and we're going to see the wrath of God upon this world there will be some uh, breaks as we go along as as a break in chapter 7 next week before the seventh uh, seal is open we see six seals open tonight but what is happening here and I think we need to understand prophecy to get a clear indication of that. So, I know it can be tedious at times to turn to parts of the Bible. This is the only time I'll ask you to turn. Daniel chapter 9, please. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, because it helps us frame this in, God's plan uh, for this world, and for his plan for his people Israel. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, what has happened... What we see there is, as we could read verse 1, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you just see there, um, it records it's in the first year of Darius, the son of Asarias, by a descent of Mede, who has made him a king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel. So, it's the first year of the Medes and Persians. Previous to that, Babylon was the great world empire. And you'll remember... Uh, or if you don't remember let me tell you that what had happened is the people of the southern kingdom of Judah as they were called had been taken into captivity and God had promised them that they would be taken into captivity really because of their neglect of himself and neglect of the Sabbath and God had said through the prophet Jeremiah that that captivity would last 70 years. 
Okay, 70 years. And so when we come to Daniel chapter 9, we find that Daniel has been reading the books. Look at verse 2, if you could, in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely... 70 years. So, Daniel understands that the captivity of God's people in Babylon, which has now turned to Medo-Persia, would be 70 years, and he knows that's coming to an end quite soon. The 70 years is soon going to be up. And so, you look at verse, you can just scan verses 3 down to 19, and it's a great examination, this is really, of prayer. Great instruction, but we, we're not going to do that tonight. But Daniel prays to God. Daniel prays to God in confession and repentance with regards to himself and to the people, to God's people. And then what happens is, as we see verse 20, while he was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting his plea, Verse 21, Gabriel, the angel, comes to him. Okay, verse 22, he made me understand speaking with me. Okay, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So Daniel is going to receive insight and understanding. And then the bit where I really want to get to, okay, just as a little bit of background... We're understanding, okay, 70 years of captivity, Daniel now understands it's coming to an end, because when he reads scripture, he's going to take it literally, 70 years means 70 years, you know, it's a prophecy about a number and years, you know, it's going to help us when we get to Revelation 20, by the way, okay, where it says a thousand years, we don't have to think, oh, I wonder what that means, no, it means a thousand years, okay, so he he read Jeremiah, 70 years, I know what that means, 70 years. This is what he's told about his people. Now in my version, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, now we can't go into all of that If you've got an ESV Bible, you will note, verse 24, 70 weeks. That's not a great translation. It can be a little bit confusing. You'll see at the bottom, it says, note, or sevens. If you've actually got an NIV Bible, you will see it says 77s. And that's kind of better. That's, That's better. Because that's what it says, 77s. And then you have to ask, 77 what? What's that, what are we speaking about? Okay, it's like I said, 70 dozen. 70 dozen what? Well, the context is years. Okay, years. Because Daniel has been thinking, oh, it's 70 years we're going to be in captivity. So when we turn here, Gabriel comes to him and says, here's some insight. 77s, that's years, are decreed about your people. So this is about Daniel's people and your holy city, which is 
Well, if we were getting people to shout out, you'd all say Jerusalem, but I guess no one's going to shout out, so that's okay. So it's about his people, the Jewish people, and about Israel. And just one thing, to do what? Well, I'll concentrate on one thing. To bring in, look at verse 24, please, everlasting righteousness. So Daniel has been concerned about Jerusalem being rebuilt, or returned to Jerusalem, and probably about God's kingdom being set up. Okay, at the end of the 70 years. But Gabriel is saying it's going to be 77s. Now again, if I was... If we were doing it in the house, I'd say, what, 70 times 7? And all the bright people would say 490. And I'd say, yes, exactly. You should ask Tim. They've got accountants and financial planners all around. But 490 years. Okay, so that's what we're seeing. 490 years. That's what the 77s is about. Now, I just want to say, just in case... You know, and someone asks you, and you try to explain Daniel 9 to them, and you say to them, you know, 70 weeks should be 77s, and they say, oh, you're just saying that to fit in to your, you know, theme of theology. You could refer back to the very first use of that word, weeks, okay? The very first word of that use, weeks. And you could refer, and you'll know the story well, of in, De- in uh, Genesis chapter 29, and you'll remember the great deceiver who he was at that time, Jacob. You remember Jacob? And he goes to, to Laban and he works seven years, and he thinks he's going to get Rachel uh, as his wife. And of course he's deceived. Uh, I always wonder how he was deceived in that, but he was anyway. Uh, he didn't marry, he didn't get the wife he thought he was going to get. He got Leah, okay, which was a massive shock to him. And he says, you know, to Laban, I'd like uh, Rachel. And in verse 27, Genesis 29, this is what Laban says. Complete the week of this one. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So even there, the week is seven years, okay? You will return, that will be a seven years. So quite clearly, it's indisputable that when Daniel chapter 9 is speaking about 77s of years. Okay, so let's go back to that. So the span of time that Daniel is told by God in this prophecy is before the very kingdom of God will be set up is going to be a space of 490 years from now. It is for his people, the Jewish people, and for the holy city, Jerusalem. So, now, I'm going to try and explain. If my explanation isn't clear, you can look at the screen. Uh, If it is clear, keep looking at your Bible. You're all looking at the screen in a minute, I can see. So there we go. Oh, it's not working. No, it looks like you're going to look at me. Right, okay, let me try and uh, get that. There we go. Excellent. That would appear funny on the recording, wouldn't it? Anyway, so hopefully my explanations be clear enough that you don't need to look at the screen. But you see, you're all looking at it, so anyway. I'd rather you saw it in the Bible rather than from a picture. But anyway, so as we go on, okay, read in Daniel chapter 9, please. Now therefore, verse 25, and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, 
to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moot, but in a troubled time. Okay. And then what we see is after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So let us just leave it there. Okay. Now the ESV was a little bit unclear there, I'm going to suggest. Okay, a little bit unclear. Um, Other versions are maybe a little bit clearer. Verse 25 perhaps reads something a bit clearer like this. From the going out of a word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be 70, uh, 7 and 62 weeks. So if you're adding up 7 and 62, you're going to get to 69. Yeah, good. Excellent. It will be restored and rebuilt with plaza and moot, even in times of distress. So what is Daniel told? From the comp- from the res- a order given to rebuild until the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, is a period of 69 weeks, or 69 sevens. Now what's really interesting, what I find it really interesting, is this, that from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, as we can see there, 444 BC, and if you take 69 sevens, and that's helpfully gone on the table there for you, 483 years, that's 490 minus 7 for those who struggle, like me, with the maths, okay? Until the Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that has been calculated that that fits that time exactly. So a man called Sir Robert Anderson uh, did that. Uh, He's got detailed calculation in his books called The Coming Prince. So here's a prophecy. If If you're sort of a bit lost now, hope you're not. But Daniel is told 69 sevens, 483 years from a decree to build, rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah is cut off, comes exactly to when Jesus Christ presents himself in that, into Jerusalem. Now, as we read on, what we see in verse 27 is this. Well, verse 26, the anointed one shall be cut off. And look at this. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay? So it's not the prince who is to come. It's the people of the prince who is to come who will come and destroy the sanctuary. And if I all said to you who came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, you would tell me... The Romans. Excellent stuff. Good. Thank you, Bumni. Okay. <laughs> I thought you spoke. Someone, did you say Romans? No? no? Okay. Right. Okay. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now look at this. Verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, seven years. So this prince who is to come, will make a covenant with many for a week. And for half of the week he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So what we got there? We've got the 70th week. 
we've got this 70th week. We've seen the 69, but there is this 70 week, 70th week, or this seven years of Daniel's last piece of the prophecy here. And what we have seen is there is the prince to come, verse 27, and this prince will make a covenant with many for the one week, the seven years. But in the middle of that seven years, as you can see in verse 27, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So sacrifice and offering was ongoing. And what will happen? There will be desolation until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now that's how chapter 9 ends, okay? So Daniel is being told there, in the 70th week, the prince will come, the, who, was the, who was from the people of the prince, but he is the prince who will come, makes an agreement with many for this seven-year period, breaks it in the middle, makes an abomination of desolation, and what happens at the end of those seven years, he himself is made desolate. And, you know, that all ties in a lot to Matthew chapter 24. When you read Matthew 24, you'll remember and you'll see lots of these sealed judgments that are pictured there in Matthew 24. But the Lord Jesus said this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Okay, so that will come. And he says, there will be a tribulation upon this world. Now, I think this bit's important, so switch on here a bit more if you could. Verse 21, this is Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So the Lord Jesus says, at th- this time, when there will be this abomination of desolation, there is a time of tribulation that the world has never seen the likes of before. Now, as bad as the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was in 7 AD and the atrocities of all that, this world has seen a lot worse than that. The Holocaust in World War II, for one against the people, okay? So, I, this only applies, right? This applies to the future times of this last period, a period of great tribulation that this world will face. It cannot, it does not apply to that which has happened before, okay? It does not. It does not. They might have been little pictures of that, but it does not apply to them, okay? There is a great tribulation which the world has never seen the like of before and never will. And we are reading, we commence reading tonight the description of that. Nothing else which has happened in this world compares, compares to what we have read of tonight in Revelation 6. This is the time of tribulation upon this world, of great tribulation. It is Daniel's 70th week. So why did we spend time in Daniel 9 tonight? To show you, I trust, that this, what is unfolding here, is Daniel's 70th week. The seven-year period of tribulation 
The church is not involved in this. The church will be taken away out of this. Jesus saves us from the coming wrath. That's eschatological and eternal wrath. Jesus saves us from that. But God's people of Israel will go through this. And at the end of this, as we saw what Daniel said, at the end of this, the kingdom of God will be set up upon this world. The millennium reign of Jesus Christ upon this world. So the church will not go through the tribulation. The Lord Jesus will deliver us from that wrath to come. This 70 week prophecy is concerned with Israel and Jerusalem. And that will be rebuilt. So, and the start of it, the start of the 70th week as you have read in Daniel 9 is not the rapture of the church. It's the signing of a covenant. The prince to come, the Antichrist who will be revealed is signs a covenant of peace. And that's actually our first seal, which we'll uh, think of tonight. No, probably the rapture of the church is not far, you know, it's not happened long before that covenant sign, but that is the thing. So what we're going to look at tonight is these uh, seals on here, okay? So I'll go down again, because this is working. There we go. Better exercise. So we've considered tonight. We've read six, about six seals, okay. And as we was mentioned a little bit last week as well, uh, there's seven seals in, in that scroll. But when the seventh seal is open, which is in chapter eight, what we find is that unfolds, and in the seven seals there is seven trumpets, okay. And then what we find in chapter sixteen, when the seventh trumpet. Uh, is blown, there are actually seven vials or seven bowls. It's kind of like it concertinas out. You think it's coming to the end, the seventh seal is it, but no, 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 there's now seven trumpets, and you think that might be the end, no, 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 there's seven bowls. And it's growing intensity on these judgments which come upon the world. So in the time available, what we're going to do is now think about these seals, the first six seals, and what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ himself opens the seals and what is going to come as he reclaims this earth for himself before he sets up this kingdom. So let us just look at seal number one. As we've seen there, what happens is the first four seals all have a horse involved in them and that's where we get the, you might have heard the expression the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you might have heard that well that's where it comes from, the first four seals here in chapter 6 and the first one is, it seems strange to us it doesn't seem much of a judgement does it first there's a white horse, a rider with a bow no arrow interestingly enough a crown is given to him we think well who gave him the crown and he comes out conquering and to conquer now when we read the second seal we see the second seal has taken peace from the earth so that helps us interpret the first seal so there must have been peace upon the earth for it to be removed it's kind of obvious isn't it Interestingly, some people think okay, that this first seal and the rider depicts Jesus Christ or depicts the progress of the gospel. Now you can sort of understand why they might think that. I don't think that is all. I'll explain why in a moment. Okay, But we can see, well, a white horse I mean, it symbolizes a victorious warrior. In fact, Revelation 19, we see the Lord Jesus Christ on a white horse come and pictured there. Uh, a crown 
Well, who's fit to wear a crown? It must be the Lord Jesus Christ. One who conquers and will conquer. Some see this as the progress of the gospel. And so you could understand why people might think that. Okay. But really what it does picture for us is the great counterfeiter. The Antichrist himself. The one who stands opposed to everything about God. You know, the, the John the Apostle says, you know, there are many Antichrists have gone out into this world. And the spirit of Antichrist is here. And that's true. There are many deceivers in this world who seek to deceive and turn people away from Christ. But the one who is going to come is the Antichrist. He has many names. He has many names in Scripture, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has many names for himself. You think about him, well, in Daniel 9, we've thought about him already, he's the desolator. He is the desolator. In Second Thessalonians, he is called the man of sin. He is called the lawless one. He is called the beast in Revelation chapter 11. But as I've intimated already, most commonly he is called the Antichrist in 1 John 2.22. The one who is totally opposed and totally against everything the Lord Jesus Christ stands for. The one who is the great deceiver. And what will happen at the start of this 70 week, we see he comes out. And he is given, yes, he is given a crown. Who gives him the crown? Well, there's only one person who can give him a crown, that's the Lord Jesus. He is given authority. He is given authority to do this. You know, he's not out without with authority, given by Christ to do this. And a judgment comes that there is a peace, but it's a false peace. He will deceive many. There's going to be a great deception in these last days upon earth. As we go through Revelation, we will see, in fact, there's a counterfeit trinity. We think of the great trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, as we come through Revelation, we see that Satan himself, the dragon, plays the role of the Father. He hands all authority to the Son, the Antichrist. And we'll even see there is a false prophet like the counterfeit Holy Spirit who calls all to worship and bow down to this Antichrist figure. You know, Satan is the great counterfeiter. He is, and I just use these words, he is, he is good at it. Because he deceives many. People in this world now are deceived and there will be a great deception in these times as well. Many will be deceived. He will, he will look to do, he will, people will believe that he has done what hardly anyone or no one else could ever do. Peace in this world, peace predominantly in the Middle East. He'll make a treaty with Israel and make that firm covenant. That's the firm covenant of Daniel chapter 9 we read about. But in the middle he will break it. In the middle of that time, he'll break up. So the first seal is this peace, but it's a false peace. The second seal, that where the Lord Jesus Christ breaks open the seal, is this, that peace is removed. This is a bright red horse, and under Christ's authority, peace is taken from the earth. We think this world is bad now for lawlessness, don't we? Uh, we see it nation against nation. You see all sorts of lawlessness on the streets in places. You see it in the news and everything. But you know, at this present time, there's a restraint on that. 
In Second Thessalonians we read, you know, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in this world. There is a mystery of lawlessness already at work. We, we, we see it so evident, don't we? We see it so evident. But as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says this, Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. I believe that's the Holy Spirit working through his people in the church, and the church will be taken out of the way. And then what is going to happen? The lawless one will be revealed. Well, he will be revealed. You know, sometimes people have tried to guess who the Antichrist is. Well, he's not going to be revealed until um, the one who restrains is out of the way. And I believe that encompasses the church. That lawless one will be revealed. There is going to be no restraint. However, Paul goes on in Second Thessalonians to tell us this. The Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. But for a time... There will be lawlessness like there's never been seen in this world. Nation against nation, community against community, people groups against people groups. He was given a great sword to do that. Now when there's lawlessness and people can't do their normal activities of work, then obviously the next one follows, doesn't it? In this world there's going to be a great famine. And that's what the third seal is. John looks and he sees a black horse. Black is often associated with famine conditions. And there's got, that rider has a pair of scales in his hand. Well, scales are used to weigh out food, aren't they? To weigh out food, to buy and sell. But as we see, there's going to be a huge famine. The lights which have never been seen... Because here's the price, a quart of wheat for a denarius. We think, what's that? Well, basically a quart of wheat is enough provision just about to feed one man for a day. But it costs one day's wage to feed one person. So think what you might earn in a day. Think what the average salary is in a day. That's what it's going to cost. So scarce is the commodity of food, the basic things that we need to live that that is going to be the cost. Barley, a cheaper ingredient, will cost, uh, you'll get three times as much, but it's not going to be as wholesome whatsoever. Famine conditions, lack of food, brings death, disease, and desperation. We can imagine how people will react. Well, we saw how they were reacting when we thought there was going to be a shortage of toilet rolls in the shops around here, didn't we? You know, when it comes to famine conditions, real famine conditions, how are people going to act? lawlessness will carry on you know just because the second seal was lawlessness the third one is famine doesn't mean lawlessness has stopped that will fold on there will be famine uh, there will be lawlessness in these famine times as well and what we can see with the lack of food and people's desperation for food the groundwork is being set for that coming prince the antichrist to control the world economy and the buying of selling of food and that's what we see in Revelation 13, as you know. You know, he's a great counterfeiter. God's people have a seal. And we will see that he seals his people. And all those who refuse to take that seal will not be able to buy or sell. Those who take the mark of the beast can. Those who do not, cannot. Perilous times Indeed. And then the fourth seal would again not be surprising what's going to come. 
As the Lord Jesus Christ opens the fourth, fourth one, we see a pale horse. That's the colour green, actually, like a light green. And out comes death and Hades. Death is the condition, of course, and Hades is the place of the dead. The invisible world of the dead. And they were given authority. Who gives them authority? Jesus Christ gives them authority. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. One quarter of the world will see death. There's going to be conditions coming when the rejection of Jesus Christ and the just judgment that he brings upon this world will see slaying, will see famine, and there will be death on an untold scale. 25% of the world's population at this time. Later on we'll see greater percent. Just to, put that in, just to give you an idea, World War I saw 1.1% of the population killed. The Spanish flu, which was followed immediately after, 3.3%, so it's three times worse in the percentage killed. World War II, 2%, so not as much as Spanish flu, more than World War. But think of the horrors of World War II. Some of you are old enough to remember that, and some, many of us have obviously seen the pictures. That was only 2% of the world's population. This is 25%. And by, if you just want to know, COVID was less than 0.1%. Less than 0.1%. 25% are going to die. And that's the judgment coming. Jesus saves us from the coming wrath. In that time, in that time though, what we will see is people will be turning to Jesus Christ. We'll see that next week in Revelation chapter 7. Amazingly, amongst great persecution and great tribulation, there will be a revival. There will be the preaching of the gospel and people will be saved. And we see this in this fifth seal, delayed judgment, I've called it. Because there's a picture brought before us, if you look at it, there were the souls of those who had been slain. You notice John doesn't see bodies, he sees souls. They don't have resurrected bodies, so this is not the church, okay? Because we've, uh, we've gone to be with Christ, okay? These are the souls who had been slain. Revelation 20 tells us when they receive resurrection bodies, okay? Revelation 20, verse 4. But these ones had been slain in this period, in the tribulation period. And they are crying out. Their bodies are under the altar. You know, all the, the altar was where sacrifice took place. But they have given themselves. They have refused to bow the knee. They have been committed to Jesus Christ. They have been killed for their faith in him. And their prayer, look at this, because some people don't like this prayer. But they are not praying if justice will be done. They know justice will be done. They are praying when will justice be done. God, you are just and you will judge the sin of those who have slain us for the testimony of your word. And they're not looking for themselves to be personally avenged, but they're looking for God to be vindicated upon this world. For his glory to be seen in justice in this world. 
And what are they told? Well, they are told, those who cry out, that yes, there will be this judgment, but they have to wait a little while longer because there are going to be more martyrs for Christ in this tribulation time. It's almost like this is just the beginning. There will be many more turning to Christ, but there will be many more martyrs for Christ. And your friends, it reminds us, doesn't it, as well, you know, we're not going to be on earth when these things take place. But it does remind us that there is a world and a world system opposed to Jesus Christ. And whoever loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him, John says. They're totally opposed. And it reminds us not to get embodied, uh, sorry, entangled so much with this world. But to have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, a love for his glory, rather than the love that this world has for its own pleasures. They are given white robes, they are seen as righteous. Sixth seal. Thick seal, the very last seal we're going to think of tonight. The martyrs in heaven have said, avenge us. God bring justice. But those on earth say, hide us. Hide us. There is great earthquake. The sun becomes black. The full moon becomes like blood. It says, stars fall from the sky to earth. I take that to be like meteors and asteroids, things like that. You know, stars, some of those stars out there are just so much bigger than this earth, they'd smash it to pieces. So I get the idea that this isn't them, this is those things which could be seen as stars up there falling to earth. It is going to be terror upon terror. And what we see is this phrase, um, the heaven departed like a scroll or the sky vanished like a scroll verse 14 it's if the people on earth see there is no there is no distance between heaven and earth they understand why this is happening they understand we've read that people know why this is happening this is verse 16 the wrath of the lamb the great day of our wrath has come and who can who can stand none but from the great well I say great the, the, the esteemed as the world has it the great ones well John uses that language so can I I guess from the great ones to the slave the predominant call the call we have here is not for mercy Lord have mercy because in mercy in wrath there is mercy but they don't call to the God the Father for mercy they call if you like to mother nature to hide us hide us as if that would help they desire the rocks to fall on them. Somehow thinking, and it's an illogical thought, that thus they will avoid the wrath of God upon them. The call should be, Lord have mercy. The call they gave was hide us from that. Try to hide us from it, fall on us. You know, the seventh seal, as we'll see, is not open till chapter 8. 
chapter 7 lies between obviously the 6th and 7th seals you can see how bright I am to work that out can't you and um, we will see their faithful witnesses we will see the fruit of their labour at the end of chapter 7 a great multitude that even amidst this all this tribulation come to faith in Jesus Christ but as we consider this, the start of Daniel's 70th week and the 70th week things, this last what time before the kingdom of God is set up upon this world, truly we can affirm these words. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. Praise God that by his grace, if you have been saved, you have been saved. He saves you from that wrath to come, from that eschatological wrath and from that eternal wrath. Praise his name for that. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for your goodness to us. And Father, we thought of terrible and awesome things as we see them in your word. But we know they are the judgments of our Lord Jesus Christ as he opens the scroll upon this world help us to understand these things from your perspective give us the wisdom to see that we ask and to live for your honour and glory if we ask it in Jesus name Amen